With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. on this Friday, May 2nd, 2014 edition of the Hagman Hagman Report, our special guest, W, the Intelligence Insider. If you're wondering what any of this has to do with intelligence or how it connects to the dots, just hang with us. I guarantee you, you will be absolutely astounded when you hear uh, how this is all tied together. Please listen to this carefully because this is going to set the tone, I believe, for tonight. And the quote is this, in order to properly understand the big picture, Everyone should fear becoming mentally clouded and obsessed with one small section of truth. I got to tell you, uh, folks, uh, Starbucks is a requirement uh, uh, for this man. So, for those who don't know you, you have lived your life in the recesses, the shadows. I'm not going to get into everything that you that you've done, obviously, but uh, suffice it to say that you're uh, the real James Bond in, in my book, and someone of, of a man of integrity, character, and a guy that. Uh, that I would trust my life with. So we're going to just turn it over to you and just take us where you want to take us. Tonight, I want to talk more theory, history, the physics, try to try to get in the mind where some of the folks are coming from, how they got there, that are running the planet right now, and why they think what they do, where it makes sense, where there's actually some, some pretty good logic that got them there potentially. And then for... Others of our listeners, I, I think it's a very important detail. We have a lot of Christians. Your show is aimed at Christians, and so my presentation is really aimed at them tonight in a large measure. For non-believers, agnostics, you might get a very good clue of why even your beliefs are maybe well-founded in some ways. So I'm not just talking to Christians, but what I'm, what I'm concerned about is a lot of times we hear trigger words. For example, let's, uh, let's just use uh, Richard Hogan last week, and I think some people were upset by some of what he said or heard key trigger words like astrology, astrology, and they were like, oh, that's, that's evil, and they're instantly, tune him out, he's, he's from the devil. He's not talking about anything I want to hear about. And they can't take a deep breath and try to understand, even if you disagree, what underlying principles, information he might have been trying to convey there and then how it feeds into and is relevant to us. Because remember, it's not what you believe. It's what they believe who are running the planet right now that is really affecting how we live, because at this exact moment, the people that have the controls, they're, you know, a different group. And so we're trying to understand what's driving them, what's directing them, what are the principles, what are the ideas that cause them to think, 
function do what they do? And what is the mindset or even the mind behind them that has gotten them and us here today, right now, where we are, with all these events churning around us in the world and these burning questions arising and propelling us ahead seemingly to this new world order just ahead, just around the corner. What's the driver? What do they believe? What's driving them? How do they get there? We're going to take a lot of wild twists and turns, and I hope I can pull it all together and make it make sense. Let's when rock and pharaohs, roll. Buckle up. All right. When the pharaohs were entombed, when they'd passed away, and the wealthy people of, of Egypt, we now know, we go back and we look at these sarcophagus, sarcophaguses and, and the burial chambers, etc. We know that the whole death process was a very elaborate process. They went to extreme measures to mummify these individuals of prominence, these people that they felt were godlike or, in fact, gods. We look at it now with a modern mind, and we think, well, they're just nuts, crazy. They were gods, I mean, you know, how uh, the height of arrogance. We have to think about it a little bit more. What, what were they really trying to do when they preserved their body in this way? And not just themselves, but then they had elaborate systems where they, they buried sailboats, complete sailboats, uh, all dismantled and carefully packed away and stored underground for them. And we've gone back and discovered these, these uh, items. Oftentimes they were buried with uh, their wives and servants, and they were also preserved with the understanding, with the belief that, that one day they were going to be resurrected and would live again physically. And we look at it and we think with our modern minds that uh, a little touched, they didn't understand the nature of the world. As Christians, they didn't understand uh, salvation. Christ hadn't arrived yet. Uh, they believed in, you know, voodoo. But then there's another interesting thing. Let's walk away from that for a moment and go somewhere else. The Smithsonian received the bones of giants. And there have been numerous accounts over the last uh, century and a half of people, individuals, groups, who turned over these bones and artifacts from burial chambers and burial sites that were from giants. Smithsonian, you know, you go back and you ask them, hey, what, what happened with those bones? Oh, uh, oh, I destroyed them. Yeah, they're gone. They're history. Don't have them. Don't know what you're talking about. Who, who, who are you? Well, no, no, we know you got them. Well, you don't know nothing. Places all over the world, there's been this allegation out there for some time that some hidden hand group has been systematically gathering up all of these old bones. Why? And why not admit it? But let's step aside from that for a minute and let's look at another situation. What is consciousness? Where are you? Think about it right now. We hear near-death experiences by people all the time who have passed over out of their body and they give very credible explanations of how they rose out of their body had a physical form they saw things in an operating room for example that you could not have seen from where they were lying physically in their body 
conversations, words that happened in a hallway just outside the door that you had to be there to hear it. And people say that they heard this word or that conversation or saw this person dressed a certain way, and they were in the operating room on the table. And very difficult to deny that they had had an experience that wasn't just an experience inside of the tissue of their gray matter, their brain, that they had somehow been transported or allowed to move about outside of their physical corpse. So then we ask ourselves, where are we? Where's our consciousness? Are you right now actually in your physical body, or is it possible, is it conceivable that your conscious is somewhere maybe within the parameters of your physical body and more, but not technically really inside your physical body? I have remote control uh, devices, including uh, one of our uh, aircraft that we're working on that's uh, remote control. It uh, is capable of traveling very fast, very far. And yet, some of its operations are pre-programmed, and it operates uh, autonomously on its own within its own computer program inside its computers. But then there's other overriding uh, information that comes remotely that is broadcast to the aircraft, and uh, it gives information, and there's more broadcast to it. And so the real mind behind the operation of that aircraft could be at a great distance from the aircraft. Technically, it could be to the moon or to outer planets, distant, and yet still be operated remotely. The real mind isn't in the aircraft, although it's physically expressing itself through that aircraft. So where's, where's that consciousness? The world around us, and we say, no, 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 you know, the body, the consciousness, the physical, we're right here, I'm right here. But let's diverge again for just a moment. Years ago, before cloning was actually really known outside of a very tiny realm of people, there was a particular location where we were examining cloning issues. There was a dog that had been a pet, and that dog had uh, been well-known and would greet aircraft as they arrived and departed, and, and the crews knew him. And uh, he was uh, very well-liked, had a very unique personality, did some tricks, and he was, he was just great. When he passed away, uh, he was buried in this uh, very arid, semi-desert uh, environment. So years later, at a certain point, somebody had the idea that uh, it would be interesting to see if we could clone. So he was exhumed, and DNA was extracted from different areas of the corpse, in, in uh, bone areas and in uh, teeth areas, because uh, those areas hold DNA, uh, preserve it longer than, than most of the other areas. And there were some other samples taken, but uh, those were, were really key. And then the animal was cloned. And in one of the clones that was done, that uh, there was health issues with some of them early on, and it took a little time to, to get things right. In one of those done, it was noticed that uh, the dog operated mannerism-wise, and even to some tricks that it did as it was maturing, as though it already knew these tricks that were really unique to its ancestor. And the question was, did that animal 
have that information in its DNA? Was that knowledge of how to do the tricks something that was recorded somehow in the DNA? Had the DNA been overwritten during the course of the dog's life to be able to know a trick and it somehow is recorded there like information like writing a movie onto a DVD or something and recording it on the DVD had it somehow been recorded on the DNA. Conversely, the question was, was there something in the DNA that predisposed the dog to want to behave or operate or do things really just like the other dog, even to the paths that wanted to go down and this daily routine that the, the ancestor had? None of those seem to make sense because the behaviors that we were looking at, that we're talking about, are learned behaviors. They did not seem to be things that you would have had within its DNA, how the animal was built at a structural level. This was more information-related, things that would have been recorded in the mind that would have been recorded in ways that it's like the difference between um, with the old reel-to-reel tapes. You have the tape itself that can hold information, but then you have to write information on it. And when you play it back, you get the information you wrote on it. You don't get new tape suddenly coming out of the tape machine because you're not manufacturing tape. You're just downloading the information that was recorded on it, writing it on, taking it off. The question was, how could this dog have known these tricks? How could it want to follow these same paths when it hadn't been taught this stuff? It had not been shown it, really, to that point in time. But because of some health issues that were raised, the dog had started to get sick. And this was early on, and people really, you know, they're monitoring it very closely. These are scientists having some fun while they're doing other real research. But this was a question that came up during this time that the previous dog wouldn't have known because the facilities are newer and had some new stuff and different people. So that animal died. And they had decided to clone that animal. So now we have a clone of a clone. Plus we had still some work going on with the previous clone. And 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 the interesting thing was to try and determine if there was some recorded information in the clone of the clone that was transmitted from one to the other. Now, the the background for that was there was also simultaneous work being done where they had taken earthworms, uh, another group, but uh, certainly we were aware of it. And this other group had taken these earthworms, and they had taught them that when there was certain uh, stimuli, uh, electrical stimuli within a uh, box of materials, that if they went a certain direction, there would be food. So they essentially literally trained these earthworms, uh, which you you would think they have very little gray matter, brain, whatever, to to do anything. But in their uh, opinion, they had trained these earthworms to respond in a certain way to certain types of stimuli. Then they ground up these earthworms and fed them to other earthworms. And they noticed that without learning the behavior, the other earthworms began to operate in the same way, that 
something in the material that was transferred from one to the other, actually that information somehow went to the next set of earthworms and they were able to essentially be trained just by exposure to the material, the biomaterial of these other earthworms, the DNA, if you will, you know, got inside their system. So these were really, you know, wild questions. I mean, this is, you know, strange stuff. Believe me, we'll get to the politics in a little while. We'll get to today in the world around us in a little while. But let's think about this question. Now this dog, who's a clone of a clone, and another dog that's just another clone of the original, are being raised isolated from each other. And an interesting thing is learned. The clone of a clone, as well as the original, both show some knowledge, some predisposition, acknowledgement of how to do a trick that had only been learned by that first clone. So how could a clone of the original dog and a clone of the clone both know this new same trick when there was no physical contact between them, there was no learned information between them, not being raised around that uh, dog at the middle. So that got me thinking, asking the question, well, what's the nature of consciousness? This is a very long time ago. I mean, this is a long time ago. Coming at it from a spiritual side, I said, well, but the consciousness isn't inside the body. It's coming from a remote location. Now, to most physicists, they're just looking at a brain and saying, nope, it's right there, it's the cells right there, there's a gray matter, we know this part of the brain transmits neurons this way, and it registers information here, and this is how it works, and they're looking totally inside the brain. They're looking inside the DNA as little recorders to see how it could be registered on the DNA and be written on the DNA. And I'm going, yeah, but the original, how could it possibly not? How could twins know something happened to their genetically same person at a distance, even though they had no contact. We have lots of stories of twins where they, they seem to know when their uh, twin is in trouble or hurt or what they're thinking and know the thought even before they do it. Well, is it because of close contact while they're being raised? But in some cases, twins were separated at birth or that shortly thereafter, and yet they know that they have a twin somewhere. They think thoughts of the other twin. They live lives that are somehow similar. To a university professor, that's the same as to a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters here, same as saying, astrology, astrology, astrology. <laughs> okay. The cross comes out, they start making signs, and they're, they're all stressed out. But I'm trying to come at this and look at it and go, is there a real physics that even if it isn't understood... Is there a real physics, an underlying, testable, measurable, tangible physics here that we have to know, understand, grasp? And sometimes you have to think bigger, oftentimes, and sometimes you have to think smaller. I'm going to bring all of these things together before we're done, but I, I hope your audience is staying with us. I, I, I know some people, are, their brains are already getting a little overheated, but stick with us. I think we can pull it together. So now we say, okay, so, so there's stuff that makes up our world, but we can't see it. But it's everywhere around us, totally infused in us. 
And it's even more real than the stuff that we see because it's much denser, it's much finer, it's much more powerful. And in fact, if you were to say that you could perfectly use the dark matter just contained in your own body, besides boiling all the oceans of the world off with just a cup of it that might be the size of your fist, the amount of it in your whole body could blow a whole world to smithereens. That's how much energy is packed within your being. But it's just out of reach. Just right there adjacent to you, right there infused in you, but how do you access it? And what does it mean? And, you know, how is it relevant to us in this physical world? If I can't touch it, feel it, grab it, manipulate it, what's the matter? What's the matter with the matter? What's the matter? It's not relevant to me. I can hear a lot of your people out there in the audience saying that right now. I don't know how this applies. Let's go back to consciousness. If you, your consciousness, actually isn't residing in your brain, isn't recorded in your brain, where is it recorded? If your body is, in fact, in a, in a way, an avatar, like the movie Avatar, where a person would get into a machine cocoon, and then his thoughts, his physics, his brain manipulations were remote transmitted to a body at a distance that thought, moved, acted, reacted according to its input, its stimuli, remote control, an avatar. What if you are, in a sense, that way, and yet your consciousness isn't parked on the other side of Pluto. It's right there within the zone of your body, but in that dark matter. Very real. It's recorded on a recording medium that is right there beside you, right there within you. It's just of a size, of a material that you can't understand within the purely physical matter realm matter of the atomic scale and above. It doesn't mean it's not there. It just means it's not of a size that we normally think of and talk about and work with and can manipulate. How can we prove that that sub-subatomic matter exists? And if it does exist, does it have an impact a measurable impact on the way our world works and the way we work. Well, that's why we had a guest on like Richard Hoagland last week. Because what he has done, what he has brought to the conversation is absolutely astonishing. So now we go back to some of our earlier conversations. And we say, okay, so there's material that we can't see, but we're immersed in it, and it's this dark matter, and it's infused in us, it's all around us. Where's consciousness? Is it conceivable that it's recorded somewhere there, that we're, the there is there, not necessarily in the physical realm that we're in, 
we're just remote operated or affected by things. If consciousness isn't technically in your physical body, it's somewhere adjacent, another heaven, if you will, and we're just being operating in this body like an avatar, how are we connected one to the other? Now, in our aircraft, we have very specific coded devices in the transmitter and the receiver. It doesn't just send a radio signal from one to the other. Although that radio signal data has information, I don't want somebody else commandeering my aircraft, taking over control of it. So the signal is coded so that whether it's another friendly aircraft or an enemy trying to take control of the aircraft, that signal is encoded in such a way that only my aircraft and only my transmitter communicate between each other. Very unique, highly encoded, difficult to break. If we look at ourselves, at our being, and if we say consciousness resides outside the body, how do we communicate with our bodies from our conscious location? in a way that it's not overwritten, hot-wired, tapped into, or spoken over by adjacent signals from somebody else. And I would propose to you that it's the DNA. Now, one of the interesting things about the DNA, when we look at the DNA, the picture that most people have in their mind is the double helix. The double helix is two strands that wind and twist and coil around each other. Two strands are connected side to side. What does it look like when we look at those strands? Technically, the more simplistic model, but relatively accurate. In this ladder type arrangement, and thought of the DNA strands as tuning forks all the way up, each of them hitting their own unique little combination note. And then you say, well, if I have tuning forks side by side and I have them all vibrating, tend to affect the note of the one adjacent to them ever so slightly, especially when you have a whole bunch of them. All of these tuning forks hitting their individual notes tied together make a particular sound or signal or song, or music that is totally unique because what? No two people's DNA is exactly the same unless you're a clone. And even clones vary just ever so slightly here and there, but uh, they're closer together to being an exact match. Now imagine if that DNA strand of which your body is made up of trillions of strands of DNA throughout all your cells essentially amounts to a note that's your unique note, your unique music that you make. And your transmitter can communicate with your receiver individually and no one else. Now your consciousness resides between you and your body. You are tied together by this silvery thread umbilical cord to this physical body with your consciousness right now. It may be that some people 
be it a mother or a twin or a clone, share some joint consciousness with one another because they're so close together on the note that they strike that there's some overplay. Perhaps you've been by a radio station transmitter and you've got your radio turned to a particular channel. And as you get closer to this other radio station's transmitter, suddenly you start to hear some of their music and talk coming over your radio because their signal is so strong it overdrives even into your signal. Sometimes we steer a radio signal by having uh, uh, transmitters that are focused in a certain direction or on the receiver. We put a receiver that's aimed a certain direction to receive more clearly a signal at a very great distance. And so there's ways to maybe accentuate or enhance the performance and the communication's ability from one to the other. But now, once again, we're talking matter, trons, photons, magnetics. But what if the communication signal is none of those? What if the communication signal is a torsion signal? It's a physics that's not normal physics the way you've been taught and raised to believe. It is measurable and it is detectable and it is manipulable if you understand how to do it. If you were communicating, you know, let's say in the jungle a thousand years ago or in some remote places here on the planet, maybe you use smoke signals and drums because that's what's available to you. You don't have an electronic uh, you know, radio transmitter or receiver situation, so you've got to use drums and smoke signals. Does it mean that radio systems don't exist? Well, thousand years ago, probably didn't exist. Does it mean they can't exist? No, we know that now. What, what, do we, what do we have here? We have now established that there's a very good likelihood that a physics is real and exists and is provable that it exists that is right around us all the time. And somebody figured that out. And some of how it works, we might consider spiritual and, and everything. Well, what's the word? Still based on real physics, real stuff. The spiritual dimension doesn't mean that it's totally just imaginary, vaporous, you know, whatever. You know, Paul, when he said he was caught up into heaven, he didn't know to which heaven it was. He thought to the seventh heaven. The seventh heaven, there's like multiple dimensions, multiple truths. There's not just one heaven. What could he be talking about there? So then we come back and we look at this situation and we think about consciousness and now I have to go somewhere else for a minute and add one more part to the table of parts as we try to assemble this puzzle. Let's imagine a time somewhere far out into the future and mankind is allowed to continue to evolve the way they're headed this second. What is he saying he sees in his divinely inspired mind 
as the future of mankind, if these people are allowed to do what they want to do, what they're trying to do, what they're pushing us to do, he sees a future of transhumanists transferred into what? It might start out with a mechanical limb, and then it might be added to with an eyeball or a contact that is somehow able to see better and see in low light and download information that you can see optically from the Internet. It could be more direct. It could be some type of a chip that you plug right into your brain and suddenly you now can speak French instantly without learning a thing. It's just bang, it's in your brain. So now we think, moving out into the future, 50 years, it's limbs and it's eyeballs, 100 years. It's plug-in chips for enhanced mental calculations and knowledge. In 500 years, it's eternal life. Download consciousness into a machine. And maybe it's not 500 years. Maybe portions of it are being downloaded right now. Perhaps you record your consciousness in such a way that it can be able to exercise itself out in the machine as the capabilities show up, you know, 500 years from now. You know, there's people who have had their bodies freeze-dried at the instant of death or just before they would normally die, knowing that they had cancer or something else, and preserving their body in this state, knowing that technology continues to improve every day and paying to have their body held in this time capsule. Isn't that what the Egyptians were trying to do? Preserve that body well enough that somewhere down in the future, they thought they could be reanimated. Perhaps they understood something that we only now are beginning to understand, that their consciousness exists outside the body, that the body is an avatar of your consciousness, and that it's connected by a very specific note or signal in the DNA. And if your physical body dies in this realm, if you can reanimate that DNA at some later point in time, you could have access to that knowledge bank, that data bank that is you, again, in this world. But you live eternally. Your being, everything that makes you up, is still there. Imagine a future, some distant place out there where mankind's abilities reach some incredible high point where your consciousness downloaded in some manner into a robot, into a being, into a machine. And in that machine, you don't know an end of life. If the machine has a part that breaks, you put a new part on it. If some of the consciousness doesn't work quite right, you unplug that, plug in a new one, and reprogram it. Here I am looking at what is purported to be triple-strand DNA. The lie was that somebody 
was superior because they had triple-strand DNA as opposed to double-strand DNA. That was what they were taught. That's what they believed. And that that triple-strand DNA made them different and in a positive way, better, superior. Strand DNA gave them certain knowledge, access, rights, because everybody that wasn't triple-strand was different. And triple versus double, well, everybody knows, more is better, right? So the question was, is it true? I mean, the technology to look at DNA has only really come on in the last 30, 40 years in any great, strong measure. So this was uh, still an emerging science a long time ago. So to look at the DNA, to try and get somebody that had the capability of looking at the DNA at this level, well, that's a big deal. Finding the right guy that would have access that could even understand what they were looking at was a big deal. And if you did just basic looks, you didn't see any of uh, what's normal to me. You had to know what you were looking for and where you were looking for it at, and you had to sift, and it wasn't everywhere. For a moment, let's think about those people, those groups. How would they even have known or thought and have conveyed one to another to another over generations that they were different in some very essential, some critical, some unknowable way at the DNA level. And yet they knew that they were genetically somehow different in a way that was not totally obvious to everyone. But they knew, and they had knowledge, and they had to pass it down. They didn't use terms DNA. They didn't use that kind of terminology. They just knew that there was something different, and the difference was where? In the blood. The blood was different. How it worked was different. It could be merged with other blood. You could have children. You could interact with other people, marry and take in marriage, sometimes you would get something different. And at certain times, it was key to get something different. And there was a need to preserve a unique identity, one generation to the next, within your bloodline, because there was something about the blood that made you different and you needed a pure bloodline to preserve that and accentuate it out into the future for some reason known only to your ancestors and to who might come down the road to use that knowledge to regain some high point that they had known before going where someone has gone before. One of the interesting things in these secret societies, these families, are these rituals that they follow. Very bizarre. For example, some of these ancient sites, one in England in particular, are these groves or uh, sites where they have stones lined up in very precise ways to follow the movement of the sun across the sky, season to season. 
and to map out and chart the movements of planets in this starscape above us. And one of the most critical planets that is followed is Venus. And this ceremony that is conducted every 40 years with precision as Venus eclipses in this one location at a very precise time. And the light from Venus is lined up to come down into this chamber precisely, and even though it's just at dusk or or dawn, as it comes down through the opening of this chamber, this long shaft, for a brief period of time, it passes in such a way, it shines literally like a sun, like a light bulb inside the cavern, because it's, it's, it's like a, a pinpoint, like a laser signal coming straight in to that chamber. And what was happening inside that chamber at that time? This was about these sexual acts and virgins and the high priest would have sex with these girls and these women during that week and those days in the high point of those moments on those particular days with particular emphasis at that time and hour when Venus would pass right in front of that location. And the light from Venus would travel down that shaft precisely like a laser into that chamber area. And they had to have sex to commemorate that moment. How bizarre is that? What are you talking about? Heathens, heathens, heathens! But wait a second. You're thinking of it as a person who measures with light and electricity at the matter level. What about sub-subatomic matter? What did Hoagland find? There's a torsion signal and there's a disruption in the torsion signal during those events. And there's ways to focus that torsion signal. And in the ancient world, if you didn't understand all the physics and nobody could explain to you torsion and sub-subatomic materials and everything else, how would you preserve some knowledge of how some of the physics works and use that energy to your advantage at some critical point. And what did we see? A filament, another strand. It looks like another strand, DNA-like. And yet it's not a full strand. It's just a little short blurb of it. Nano-sized. And if you look at it and you say, but by dimension, by length, by weight of material. You cannot record enough information on it to seem to make much of a difference. You see, in the early days of recording, there was what was called wire recorders. And so a piece of wire was run beside uh, magnetic heads, and they were imprinted with a magnetic um, distortion on that wire, and then if you played it back, it would make a sound just like it recorded. And so it was called wire recording. Then we progressed from that. It was used for, you know, covert purposes, you know, for people to even realize you could record voices and stuff. 
Then we switched to magnetic tape, which had more space on it to record more information, a wider band, more depth of information, more detail of information in a very small size. And then we went from the magnetic tape, these big reels, to small tapes with greater uh, uh, metal density, record more detailed information, more information, finer grains of magnetic material on the tape. Then finally, we reached the limits, limits of magnetic tape. And we said, well, we've got to go to another form of recording data, recording information. And we switched to digital zeros and ones a binary system. In those zeros and ones, we do it in packets of six. Eventually, we got smarter and smarter about the way that we recorded this information, and we could pack it more densely, more tightly, and that's how you could go from the way we recorded analog, where you could have just a little bit of movie information on a great big huge cassette, to having several movies recorded on one little tiny DVD and eventually to little tiny chips in a computer, multiple movies, unbelievable density of information in a very small space. Even with all that, we know that there's a limit to how much information you can pack into a piece of given matter. So when we look at this thread that was there, intermingled, intertwined with the DNA strands, that was sitting there, seemingly attached at various places, we're going, well, that doesn't seem like it could have enough information to actually be something different. But it doesn't have to be all the information on the strand if consciousness resides inside the body. What if your consciousness is somehow trapped because your body is physically dead and you want to get into another body so you can reanimate yourself and express yourself? You need to get your DNA reactivated. Do you suppose that those pharaohs, like our modern-day people that are having their bodies freeze-dried, are thinking that somewhere down the road, because of some new capability, might have their DNA merged with new beings at some later point in time and they could partially live again in some new DNA form. Their DNA could be preserved well enough. See, the organs weren't preserved. They didn't expect the organs to be. Their teeth and their bones were preserved. The DNA material inside their bodies was preserved well enough to last down through the centuries till the technology arrived to take some of that DNA, reactivate it if their ancestors in the future, their progeny, their offspring, understood, hey, I'm saving myself. Preserve me. When the time comes, reanimate me. I want to live again. And imagine us right now. What's being offered to us? Transhumanism. If we go down this road and start this process at some point in the future, we'll be able to download our consciousness 
our being into machines that will allow us to live from wherever it is that we really are and express ourselves in this realm of existence essentially forever, permanently. But now I have one other question for you. What if we're not talking about the future? What if this already happened in the past? Beings, creatures, humanoid, not human because they aren't descendants of Adam, but beings nonetheless, humanoid beings, living creatures had evolved, had grown, had become so technologically advanced that they once before were able, able to download their consciousness into machines. What would they have built? What if 10,000 years was just a starting point in your life? Think of how much we learn in, in a few years, a few decades. Adam and Eve living almost a 1,000 years. Imagine what they learned. The greatest scientist in uh, mankind's history was Adam. But imagine if he lived 10,000 years, 100,000 years. What would his knowledge and capability in the physical realm be? And what could he have built? I mean, the things, the machines could be unbelievable. If there was some humanoid presence, not human because they're not direct descendants of Adam and Eve, but humanoid, what if they lived here before? and were destroyed, destroyed themselves. And there was some echo, some remnant of their history all around us. What would it look like? What would it be? If they were highly, highly involved, is it possible that everything was destroyed or is it some of it still here around us? And how would it be recorded? Where would it be? What would it look like? How would it express itself? And what would it represent? It would re represent their consciousness and their access from their consciousness into the physical realm, from the data storage banks, from the consciousness center, where we reside also. Or maybe a slightly different one, but parallel to ours. You know, Paul talked about different heavens. Then you think about the physics, and you think about these families and how they've recorded certain rituals into how they live from generation to generation. And I was talking to you earlier, Doug, about a tribe and tribes down in the South Pacific. And what happened with them was that when World War II occurred, the armies went down and they would occupy these islands. And first people in there, they'd be these Navy Seabees and there'd be communications people. And they would go in, land, seeming coming out of nowhere, and to these natives that are living in the past in very rural civilization, very, very uh, low-level civilization, uh, not technically evolved. They see these people come in dressed in uniforms with materials that you, they've never even dreamed of these kinds of cloths and materials. They've never seen anything like this. They're wearing grass skirts, if they're wearing anything at all. And these people would come in and they'd make a little hut with a grass roof on it, and they'd put these machines in there, and they'd have radios that they're just a box, and it's boxes with, like, cords on them, hemp, ropes, and they have things they put on their ears, and then they talk certain funny language, certain code words, and 
they do things and there's a certain ritual and the papers have to be laid out in a very precise way. And then suddenly, after they do the ritual in that little booth at that desk, they look up and out of the sky come planes and they land and then people come out. Parachutes are dropped. Supplies and equipment come out of nowhere. And these people, they were there for a period of time and then the war moved and they went on. And the tribes that were there tried to duplicate what they saw, and it's called the cargo cults. And we come back years later to those same islands, having not visited them for 20, 30 years. And what do we find? The high priest in the radio communications hut, tapping out codes on the transmitter, speaking in the mic a certain way, looking up to the sky to see if the gods have returned. They preserved a ritual. They're called cargo cults because they thought that the guy in the room, in the radio room, in that shack, was the reason everything else occurred. They didn't understand the physics. They didn't understand the outside world. They recorded it their own way. They created a ritual around something that had nothing to do with reality. They didn't understand what they were really seeing. And what we know about that filament, that nano thread the third strand of DNA. It's not a being. It's not a parasite in the true sense of the word. It's an antenna, and it short circuits. It cross-wires the existing DNA to create a slightly different note, different enough that like a virus in a computer, taking over a computer, cross-wiring data and information and finding a hidden code sequence capability can take over the way the DNA expresses and builds and constructs and does. And the way consciousness is downloaded into that DNA, it alters the DNA in an infinitesimally small way. And the energy mechanism for it can work with and express itself using electromagnetic photonic energies. It's very inefficient. Why? Because the DNA itself doesn't work primarily on electromagnetic photonic information transfer. There's certain times of the day when beyond just randomness, there appears to be greater clarity of communication, telepathic information transfer from one person to another where distance doesn't matter. You can be in the next room. You can be all the way out at the moon. And at certain sweet spots, information is transmitted one mind to another more efficiently, more directly. Well, what is that? That's times when the torsion signal is clearer more direct like a laser. And something that operates based on a torsion signal is able to be energized more directly. So what if we were looking at nanomachines from some pre-existing time that were still here present in our environment, had been intermingled in with DNA, human DNA, but because the signal strength that energizes it is random, static, noise, and it's only really clear at certain times during certain events, wouldn't you want to try and get the people, the natives, to operate 
in precise ways during those events, maybe encapsulated in a ritual so that they preserve in ways that they couldn't explain in the detail and they, you can't explain it all to them and somebody forget to pass along a certain piece of information. So you have to create the ritual edifice and chamber and isolate out the signal and then do these rituals in such a way because during that torsion event, that nano thread becomes energized, activated, moves more readily and can be transmitted being to being down through time. And certain bloodlines are more attuned naturally and by breeding to that. But now let's think about what else are we looking at in our society today. We see and we talk about families working together, a hidden hand behind the scenes, managing the planet towards some future event, some new world order, some greater organization. And in those families, they have an understanding amongst themselves that they are different. They understood it, and it's been conveyed at different times in different ways. More recently, triple-strand DNA. Prior to that, a noble bloodline but they have believed that they were aliens that fell to this earth. They somehow are trapped here because their ancestors came to earth and had to rebuild it in some way to just survive. Imagine our world today if something like an EMP happens. Could you build your car by yourself here today? How long before that car wouldn't run anymore? Because you can't get parts or you can't get gas. Name all the devices around you. Maybe you have your computer protected and stored in such a way and you've got solar collectors and everything else, but eventually it is unusable anymore. Something happens and you can't repair it and the technology to repair it doesn't exist. It gets ground up. A couple of floods and all the technology that existed is wiped away and gone. All the buildings gone. And if we're talking thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years, it gets wiped out. What you saw the pyramid at one era might look like just a mountain in some later era. But imagine a world where technology maybe was where we are right now plus a thousand years or 10,000 years or a hundred thousand years. Those are blips in the history of our galaxy. Blips. What would we build? Machines the size of the moon, 20, 40, 50 miles deep of buildings and computers and stuff. And what are we finding there? What's Richard talking about? What do those photographs show? Just that. What do the Indian culture record with the Vimanu? Sky ships that could destroy whole cities. And it even shows what their power system looked like and describes a power system based on the Mercury propulsion system. What was it that came out in the ejecta when we impacted the moon that Richard talked about last week on your show, Mercury, 50-50 with water. The engine's on the moon. It's a big spaceship. It's a Death Star. You're living in a junkyard. Somebody has gone there before. Does it bother your Christian understanding? Does it destroy my ability to have faith in God or trust that Christ is my Savior? They were an accursed generation. Who are these Nephilim that are right there in the first book of the Bible? Who are these giants? 
Where did they come from? What if? What if these giants, these humanoids who fell to Earth are like angels? They are angels. Their consciousness resides in another dimension. They're avatars. We think in terms of downloading our consciousness into bodies, silicon-based life forms, computer-operated bodies. What if at some far distant future point it transferred it again into biological machines? They might be talking about trans-siliconism, reanimating themselves not in silicon machines but biological machines down the road. And our terms that we use for them could be all over the map. But yet, they are beings. They are consciousness. They exist just as we exist. But like our consciousness resides in our body, through our body, may even be adjacent to a smaller matter world right there, infused in us and around us, simultaneous, tied to our body by some silvery thread, some umbilical cord of torsion, connection that we don't understand but is every bit as real as the table in front of you. Their consciousness is tied to our world and connected thinly now but no less connected from some ancient primordial period. And they are trying to express themselves and reanimate themselves to escape their hell because they're trapped unless they can reanimate somehow in this realm with those that have the promise of life in this realm, the inheritors of this realm that God has placed here. Those giants were an accursed generation. They were under a curse. The history that these families believe in is that they fell to earth. And even their rituals that you see right in front of you, I'll name an example, the 2012 Olympics. How did the highest ranking member of one of those bloodline families come to the event for all the world to see a parachute. The queen jumped out of the helicopter, parachuted, fell to earth, duplicating how they originally got here in the first place. Why? Because they think they're different than us. They fell to earth from their celestial locations, from their higher technological era. They got here in their lifeboat, and they're trying to build their way back to get where? Get home? Sirius? To some other star system? From this junk pile of blown, smashed out to smithereen stuff in this edgewater place in the ocean of our galaxy? And when they got here, how did they preserve their life? They had to mate with what was here, be it apes or God's children, and create hybrids. But they always preserved the knowledge that they were different. It was suggested in a lot of the works, a lot of the writings, a lot of the information that we see that those first ones here, those ancient ones, were all male. And only through hybridization with the apes that were here were they able to preserve their DNA down to the generations to be reconcentrated at a later point in time. And if they were as intelligent, as evolved, as I'm saying to you, what, if they were 50,000 years in advance of us ecologically or 10,000 or 1,000, with where we are right now with nanotechnology, would they have nanotechnology? If the moon is built out as an entire spaceship, don't you imagine that 
machines probably built that. It wasn't just guys with hammers and tongs peeling away. It was robots, tiny, huge, all different sizes. And they had discovered and learned how to manipulate at the nano level. And they understood torsion. And because at the torsion level, at the sub-subatomic level, the energy density is a trillion, trillion times greater than it is at the matter level, they would use the higher density material to their advantage. So their equipment, their machines run on torsion energy. And if you're in a world where there's no machines to maintain and emit and broadcast the torsion signal coherently, you have to use and incorporate into the minds of the people that you're presented with, your hybrids that you create, for them to preserve certain understandings so down the road as the planet gets built back out and as the natural progression, the natural build-out of technology occurs over time, the civilization that would come, that it would focus on those torsion energy moments, those torsion energy transfer moments where your little machines could work better so that at some later point in time, you could be reanimated in a rebuilt world. And if you live for 1,000 years, 10,000 years, 100,000 years, eternally in a machine existence, 10,000 years for the planet to rebuild up to a technological level where you could begin to function normally, your normal again, well, it's 10,000 years. You expect to live a million. You expect to live a billion because you expect never to die. Any amount of time is not too long. It's just what you have to do because that's what's available to you. And preserving that knowledge in some way, arcane as it might be, is your only option so that your progeny, your offspring, millennia removed from you might recognize and understand and see the code that you left so you can live again and be freed from the trap the cavern, the cave that is this memory chip in this other realm, this memory storage location, this hell where there's no ability to get out if your communication is cut off. And if you lose that last thread, that last silvery nano thread that can manipulate and control the DNA of the life forms that live there to let them know where you are, They'll never look for you. They'll never get that code again. Once the code is lost, it's gone forever. You are done. You're trapped in this other realm. So you do everything you can to maintain that, to preserve that with those that understand that, and in those families to preserve that connection to the past because they themselves are deceived into believing that they're just a biological bloodline that's different to tell from space. They don't see the consciousness behind it all manipulating them the way it is. Now, W, uh, if I can jump in here, these you know fallen ones, uh, these demons, if I'm not yep, mistaken, yep. they view themselves as, um, to a certain extent, as, as prisoners and as misunderstood. They're stuck here in this world. And what you're saying is to avoid the judgment of God when this comes because they know that they're not going to win this. They're trying to create an existence outside of the 
ability of God to capture their their consciousness, punish them, and judge them. Well, remember, how do they identify themselves amongst themselves? Let's think about the garden for a minute. In the garden, the serpent enticed Eve to eat of the tree of knowledge. In the course of that, which there's wonderful discussions, Doug sent me an article the other day that was fantastic, and without getting too bogged down in the minutia of the details, let's just try to think about for a second. The allegation that has been made at some levels, at a Kabbalistic level, is that Eve got pregnant first by Satan, who deceived her in the garden and impregnated her. And then she had sex with Adam and conceived Abel, and that the two were conceived essentially simultaneously in the same day or days, which physically is possible. Two different children, two genetically separate children, same mother, during the same menstrual cycle. Uh, That has been a common belief for a long time, so that Cain and Abel actually had different fathers with the same mother. And that Cain, being genetically different, looked different, was different. And that his father would come and talk with him, enticed him, said, you know, if Abel's dead and there's no other children, you inherit the whole world. It's all yours. And he was enticed somehow to believe that story, that lie, whatever. Uh, Somehow he was caught by that. But more importantly, and remember, for those that are saying, oh, I don't, I don't see that in the scripture. I don't see that anywhere in the scripture. Understand, true or not, these people identify themselves as children of Cain. In fact, the children of Israel went to where? Cain and land and displaced those people there and took it for themselves at God's direction. And what was there in Canaan land? But think about what those giants represent. Hold on a second. Those giants are genetically different. They're humanoid, but they're not human. And yet it's called Canaan land. When Cain was exiled from his family and had to go off into a far-off city and took for himself a wife, well, where did those people come from? Oh, there were other kids that Adam and Eve had that weren't talked about in the Bible. Really? And it was a city? So we have, even now today, all sorts of archaeological records of real buildings, real cities, real stuff that's older than we can account for by the genealogy given in the Bible back to Adam and Eve. And either the Bible is true or it's false. We know all the descendants from Christ back to Adam through David. Are you saying there's a bunch of people missing or something was skipped? Or is it approximately 6,000 years? If it is, then we have real stuff that we can touch and feel and hold and look at and measure. Undeniable. And if you're going to deny it, then we probably don't need to have any more conversation. You don't want to live in the real world. Real stuff exists older than 6,000 years. Real civilizations were here over 6,000 years ago. Humanoids, not human, direct descendants of Adam. So if that's true, are they the last civilization? Were they the first one? Or were they the tenth one? Or were they the hundredth one? The evidence appears 
to show conclusively at this point in time that the world has been destroyed multiple times, that civilization has come and gone several times here on the earth. What is different about this time from a biblical perspective, from a biblical narrative, is that God has promised, made a covenant with Adam and his seed. Notice it doesn't say Eve and her seed. It specifically says Adam and his seed. And these people, these families, these 13 families, they laugh and communicate amongst themselves and make jokes about the reptilians among us. Are the reptilian uh, aliens here? I saw one. It's code. Reptilian is code for children of Cain. Reptilian is code for children of Satan, the other bloodline. And if that other bloodline is actually consciousness tied to some prior civilization through technology, through physics, real, honest-to-goodness, measurable, testable, provable physics at the torsion level and transferable by tiny machines manipulating the DNA, nanomachines that work best when the torsion signal is focused and strong. And the rituals are tuned based on the alignment of celestial bodies, Venus, Saturn, Mars, where the torsion signal is measurable by a guy like Richard Hoagland and others. Real physics then allow for that information transfer, that nanomachine transfer from one generation to the next to, to manipulate the DNA, to focus the signal, to preserve the access to the physical world from that remote consciousness, wherever it may reside, into this world of ours on this planet. And I might add, it doesn't have to be, in its case, totally consciousness like ours is, where our consciousness is tied, let's say, for the sake of discussion, to the uh, sub-subatomic level, perhaps its consciousness is revealed to us to be coming from someplace else. Now, think about this. When you talk with somebody and do an interrogation, an interview, a lot of times you have to question, listen, question again, listen, find discrepancies, and over time the true nature of who they are starts to come out. What they really are thinking comes out, and you begin to piece it together, and who they really are emerges out of the cloud, but you have to let them express themselves. You have to let them go on and on and on, and then finally it starts to, okay, now I get it. Now I know who this person is. Now I know what they're thinking. Now I've got enough details because they begin to express themselves. We see that in people's lives all the time, and suddenly you didn't understand who they were to begin with, and over years, you begin to, okay, now I know who that guy is. So let's say that some prior civilization, individually and in mass, had downloaded their consciousnesses into machines. How would they express themselves over time? They would do what they know, do what they are, do what comes natural build out machines, act like machines, with the morals of a machine. Do it because you can. Do it because you desire to. Do what comes naturally. Do what you will. What did God do 
at the Tower of Babel. He confused all their languages. What were the people doing at the Tower of Babel? They were building a space program. They said, we are building a tower to the heavens. And God came down and saw what they were doing and said that if they were allowed to continue, there would be nothing that was impossible to them. So he did what? He confused their languages, their ability to communicate one to another. He confused their languages and they couldn't speak to each other anymore, intelligently, coherently. Has that been defeated in our lifetimes? Yes. What is the universal language today? Numbers, binary numbers, the computer. In fact, if you use gematria and you just take A and say, well, that's 6 and B and that's 12 and C and that's 18, and you add up all the letters to the end of the alphabet and then you go through and you take computer and you say, okay, C, oh, that's 18, and O, oh, and that's this and that, that, and you add it up, what does it come to? 666. Its nature, its being is expressing itself. It's having a little joke. And what are we doing? We're building out its ability to retake control, to re-express itself, to reanimate itself from some remote location, be it in a sub-subatomic world or in some silicon machine on some remote distant location. And what is it also doing? It's trying to preserve the bloodline because in the blood of those reptilian families, going back to its ancient ancestor at Cain and his father, if their story is true, is being merged and condensed and focused so that some future person will be so closely aligned, so closely manipulated in the way that its DNA can access and be an avatar of that signal that it is literally the physical embodiment of that consciousness from a remote location. And what does it purport to do? Save the world, save the planet, save the people. Which people? It's people. It is the reptilian Christ for their alien hybrid race versus the children of Adam, which it sees as the invader because God planted Adam and Eve in the garden to displace that accursed generation that would not give God the glory thereof because they believed that their salvation could exist apart from God's blessing. They could do it whether God allowed them to or not or was in on it or not or blessed them or not because they could be a machine consciousness and be eternal without connection to an eternal God. They would be like God, eternal in this realm, in this physical matter world. And that's what the whole appeal of this transhumanism that Steve Quayle talks about is to these people. If we build the machines soon enough, precisely enough, we can download our consciousness there and we don't have to worry about an eternal hell. We don't have to worry about an eternal damnation. We'll live forever. Damn God. We will be gods. And W, if I can back you up with scripture in Second Thessalonians uh Verse, or 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The God of this world. Because they want to own the future. 
they do not want to be subject to God's judgment. And remember, in all of what we're saying here, if you don't agree with what I've just laid out for you, can't find it in Scripture, don't get the eschatology, don't think that this is what's really there. It doesn't matter. It's not about what you believe or even what is true or not. It's what they believe. And their belief is the driver of their actions. These families are communicating one to another. We are an alien race. We are superior to the sons and daughters of Adam. We are stuck here with these apes that we created, we gave knowledge to. They're to us like cattle are to a farmer. They live at our pleasure and discretion. And if they become a threat, cows with guns, then you need to cull the herd, take it down a few notches, manage the problem, let be overrun, so that they preserve their identity. And that's why this is two different races, whether they really exist or not. In their minds, a culture has been preserved has been inculcated by some satanic genius to believe that they're different and to operate as though they're different and they must protect themselves from the rest of us. The life is in the blood. You know, for them, in order to preserve themselves, they had to hybridize. Why? Because they were under a curse. And in order to escape the curse, in their minds, what they had to do was hybridize with the humans that were under God's blessing. What happened at the flood? The earth was filled with violence. And it says that Noah alone was perfect and without sin in all of his generations. And then it lists his ancestors back to Adam. He alone, he wasn't without sin not having offended God. He was without sin not having been corrupted in the flesh with hybridization by these Nephilim offspring. And if God had not wiped out the earth at the time of Noah, there would be no flesh left that wasn't corrupted. Why? Why did Cain have to kill Abel? Because if there was no uncorrupted flesh, and God had promised the earth to Adam and his seed, had Cain turned and then killed Adam, God could not be God and bless Adam and his seed without destroying that blessing by destroying Cain. He would have to have hybrids, and then God wouldn't be God anymore. He couldn't make a promise to Adam that he could keep. And that's why it says in the Bible that the end days will be like, as in the days of Noah, the hybridization. If they can destroy man till only the reptilians, the hybrids, are left, then God has to bless the hybrids, or God's not God anymore. It's a catch-22. And they believe that they need to eliminate anybody, anyone who is not a hybrid, who doesn't have some of that shared DNA. That's their plan. And by the way, what is it called, time monster, this beast? What's the nature of a beast? This computer, this consciousness, this machine consciousness, expressing itself out through man in this hybridized form is beast-like because a computer makes a calculation. It makes an evaluation. 
but it's not tempered by the same values as we are given by God. It's just a calculation. It does what it wills to do, what it's programmed to do. The satanic consciousness, the satanic genius expressing itself out through this world that we live in, it's said at the great white throne judgment that all the people look upon this being in awe and astonishment and wonder and ask amongst themselves, is this the one that deceived the whole world, this pathetic creature? This is what deceived the whole world? Deceived us and manipulated us into wars and destruction and cataclysm. This thing? Really? This dead computer program? This beast? It destroyed its worlds several times. It's accursed. Their consciousness is downloaded into machines and still now reaches out across time to try and hold back and destroy God's children, even now, even yet, as it has done before. And do you know God says that we will enjoy a thousand years of peace with Christ reigning from Jerusalem, and then the evil one is released for a season to test even that generation. Do you know it's not even over after the next thousand years? And by the way, what is God's promise to Abraham? God's promise to Abraham is that his seed will be as the sand of the seashore, innumerable by number. And then if you look up at the sky, and if you could count all the stars in heaven, that his seed would be more than the stars in heaven. Do you know that in our galaxy alone, here in the Milky Way, there's more stars in our galaxy than there are grains of sand on our seashores? And then you add all the other galaxies beyond. God has promised Abraham and his seed not just to populate the earth out through time, but to populate eternity out through the galaxy by number and by dimension. But first, this cancer, this consciousness, this evil being, this destructive being that has destroyed its worlds over time back into eons must be capped, choked off, cut off, forever into its eternal electronic hell. And those that will not place their trust in the blood of Christ, in the program that kills the virus, if you want to put it in those kind of terms, if you will not identify with Christ to eliminate the virus from your program, then you have to spend eternity with that evil consciousness in its virus hell where it plays and replays and re-goes through all of its machinations over and over and over for eternity. The repetition of hell, because it cannot know anything new. It's cut off. It can never get its signal out again. It's gone. And you with it. Trapped. God is providing a future for us. And the life is in the blood. And the life is in the blood of Christ. And the correction for the virus in the program is the blood of Christ and right relationship with God. Very well said. I would pray that everyone who hears this understand. If I've thrown out some fish bones and it's hard to digest this and it doesn't make sense to you, just set them off to the side of your plate. Don't choke on it. Don't be afraid of it. We're having a conversation here. I would say pray about it. Well, and remember, what are these people doing? They want these bones, the Smithsonian's collecting bones. Why? Because they want to reanimate the DNA. They're hoping to preserve it, just like 
we did with the dog, with the clones. And they believe they can live again. They can be reanimated again. They can come back. And if we live in this world and we see there's indications that we've been here before, somebody's been here before, don't throw somebody who has real data, real research, real understanding like Richard under the bus, and from the politics and space, people doing, what's the purpose of these wars? Why are we being manipulated into technological leaps through the use of war and machines? Why are we killing off each other and being directed to kill each other off? And what does the machine intend to do right now? Create this new world order. And what's the core of the new world order? It's a new money system. It's a new financial system. And at the end of the day, hold on, think about this. What is the most valuable thing to a machine? It's electrons. It's photons. It's magnetism. What is the money of trade? What will your life be reduced to in this new world order? It won't be paper money. It won't be gold. It won't be silver. Dots and tittles on a computer screen. It's electronic money. It's quatloos because the most valuable thing in the machine is to convert your labor, your energy to an electronic value, a number. And you'll be able to interact and function with the machine based on how much money, electrons, you've earned or are going to be given because that's what the machine knows. It's a machine consciousness. The devil and his angels are captured psyche trying to express themselves in our physical world as best they can to capture, possess, bodies like avatars to reanimate themselves for a period of time or maybe be reborn to relive and by the way what do we have right now with all those families all those royal families we have one person who has the combined blood of all the families focused down on him and what is the number of his name when you add the letters together with their numerical value 666 so now They aren't hiding who their replacement is. The hidden hand. We're looking at the Masonic Christ, and he's coming out of the city that is the new Rome. And we have to be taken out of the way so he can reemerge and bring peace back to the world out of chaos that's about to hit us. And all the money from those banks over there will be converted to a new kind of money that the machine values, that the beast values, and we take the mark of the beast, and it allows us to live on its energy, its life form, its being. We live and breathe and exist at its whim and will. Machine consciousness. Think if any of this makes sense. I would pray about it and understand the politics because this is what they believe and this is how they're expressing themselves. And all the politics, all the physics, everything we see is an extrapolation of this right down to the blood and the machines that live in the blood and exist trying to manipulate us from these families. Powerful. What a learning exercise. W, we've reached our, our, the end of our program. I just want to say thank you so very much for, for all the information that you provided. And, and talk about connecting some dots. Boy, folks, I urge you to, to listen again and again to this uh, broadcast for the uh, information that, well, that could have gone over your head or whizzed by you. 
because there was a lot of information here. W, thank you for being so gracious with your time. I just want to say God bless you, yeah. and uh, we'll we'll do this again. My goodness, this is fabulous. Thank you, sir. Good night. All right. Good night, Good night folks. Thanks, W. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.